1: when I first heard about it, I tried it on my own. Mm-hmm. I have asthma, so I can't hold my breath for very long. When I actually went and got tested, um, they're like blow out. there's a computer program where you blow out candles on a computer and through a device. It's basically like a, a breathalyzer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have the lung capacity, this is kind of crazy, but I have the lung capacity of like a 65-year-old mm. as, a 40, as a 40-year-old. So when I first did Wim Hof, the first thing you kind of do is like, hold your breath for as long as you can. So I tried it. And I'm in the gym, It's I'm, I'm sitting by myself and I have my watch on and I, um, I take a breath, I, I hold it, I hit the stopwatch and I'm like, okay, close my eyes and I hold my breath for as long as I can. And when it gets really hard, I'm like, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. When it gets excruciating to the point where like I feel like my head is going to. Um, explode. I'm like, hold on for five to 10 more seconds. Hold on for five to 10 more seconds. You're not going to pass out. Hold on for five to 10 more seconds. And when I finally can't hold anymore. more. I click stop. I look down at my watch and it was, <laughs> 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 it was 17 seconds. <laughs> we are here because we know the outcomes
0: in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That Chasing Excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run. Always chasing. Never stop. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Mr. Ben Bergeron? I am Good. Mr. Patrick, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Today we are returning to um, my Instagram DMs, my long list of great questions that we get from listeners. Um, and I've got a collection. I think we've got maybe 10 or 11 today. And the challenge for you is to answer them within two minutes. Sometimes uh, that is easy and sometimes that is comically fun for me to watch. Um, nice. And um, so thank you to everybody who, who does send us messages. We've got a long, uh, long list that I'm still pulling from. But if you've got any, find me on Instagram at P.S. Cummings and just drop me a DM and I uh, promise I will read them and add them to our list. Um, and as always, the uh, subject matters here uh, are varied, but certainly within the scope of things that we talk about all the time. Ready?
1: Great. Ready. Let's go. Rock and First roll. First question.
0: First question. I'm trying to adapt a more positive mindset in all aspects of life, but how can I be the person in the class uh, CrossFit class who is positive about a workout and not joining in uh, with groans of everyone else when they see a certain exercise on the board. I'm one of the fitter people in class, and I don't want to come across as overconfident or arrogant. I think the groaning is most mostly playful conversation, but I want to be more positive without excluding myself from the group.
1: Wow, that's... Um... Love that question, love the self-awareness, love the awareness of uh, the power of words and love Mm. the awareness that most people are doing it kind of haphazardly and just kind of doing and poking fun. Um, Love the idea that he's trying to work on his uh, mental game. There's a lot to to like about that question. Um, To get to the specifics of it, um, while keeping this under two minutes, and I'm eating up precious (laughs) time right now. The first thing um, I would do is is what we just mentioned is uh, congratulate the awareness aspect. Like yep. that's the first thing. So if if you are trying to work on it, which is kind of what the the, the ethos of this question is, like dude, you're doing it like so well. Doing it, um, phenomenal job. The next part is um, how do you um, kind of call out the other people without um, excluding yourself. Mm. It's hard, um, but essentially, that's where you um, are taking the stand of becoming a leader. And a leader might not be liked by everybody, but they're respected by everybody. And when you start to call things out like that, people are not going to like it because it mm-hmm. is playful, fun banter, and you are excluding yourself, saying, "I'm not one of you. I'm not like you. I don't." Um, I have higher standards and expectations than what is being presented right now in this group. Now, that will be respected in the long run. It might not be light in the moment. Leadership can be a lonely spot. So I'm not saying it's something that you want to necessarily do. If you are just a member of the group and this is a big social outlet place for you, you might be exactly where you want to be, which is I am operating on my own level of standards. I recognize other people not be meeting me where I am, and I might be okay with that. You don't constantly have to be the one fixing things, particularly um, um, if you do think it's just um, social light banter. Now. In my world where I am, and I am the leader in my organization, when I hear that, I call it out Um, because it's not about me being one of the guys. It's about me setting up the culture in the environment for a place that creates the best possible results for everybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay. Second question. I recently left my job as a classroom teacher to set up my own business as a private tutor. I know full well that businesses take time to build, but I'm finding...
1: (laughs) Oh my God! Is that your kid? I love that.
0: Yes.
1: How has it taken this, this many, this many yeah. episodes for that to happen?
0: I, because you have
1: two young children in that house. Because I
0: asked very nicely for him not to do that, but occasionally it. And that it works. works. Yes, it does. That's, That's incredible. incredible. He does sometimes go crazy. Okay, next, next question. I, I recently left it. my job as a classroom teacher to set up my own business as a private tutor. I know full well that businesses take time to build, but I'm finding it difficult to hold my nerve. Some days when I don't hit uh, the targets I need, I feel like I should just go back to the classroom. How do I get over or work through this worry?
1: Cool. Okay. So this is like anybody trying to achieve anything. Yeah. So we could substitute yourself for I'm trying to lose weight and I'm not doing, hitting my numbers. Yeah. I'm trying to make it to the CrossFit games and I'm not hitting my strength numbers. I'm trying to write a book and I'm not hitting number of pages. It's like, this is, this is the the story of um, a trying to achieve anything. Yeah. Yep. The the first thing I would do is um, revisit your targets Hmm. Usually targets are arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Like like why did – if you're discouraged because you're not hitting your quote-unquote targets, how did you actually come up with those targets? And if you lowered your targets, would you then not be discouraged? Isn't that kind of weird? Mm -hmm. Like what we're trying to do here is continually create progress. We're not trying to win today. You're trying to keep moving forward, keep taking baby step after baby step after baby step. That aggregation of the marginal gains is what creates the big discrepancies between those that achieve a lot and those that achieve some and those that don't achieve anything. Mm -hmm. I get the frustration. It's super frustrating to not hit your numbers. But as um, Thomas Edison has said, or maybe it was, uh, maybe it was Einstein, it's like, it's. Not, I'm not necessarily that much smarter than anyone else. I just stick with problems longer. Mm. So you need to do what you need to do to figure out how to stick through this. My first piece of advice would get rid of the arbitrary, arbitrary and they are, benchmarks. Mm-hmm they don't mean a whole lot. If Catherine's mm-hmm. trying to get stronger and she's not hitting her back squat progressions, does that mean we should back away and not work on our back squat progressions? They're arbitrary numbers that you're throwing out into the universe. And they, they actually come from most of the cases don't come from anywhere. Maybe they come from, you have to hit so much to um, pay your rents. Maybe they have to do so much to um, pay employees. Maybe they have to do so much to create the growth targets to satisfy investors. Maybe they mm-hmm. have to do with Um, whatever they are, they're still arbitrary. Like you have to figure out what what is that you actually should be focusing on. And to me, this is the whole thing behind commit to the process. Mm. It's not about the results you're achieving. It is about the commitment to the process. In fact, the way I say this is it's not even about the commitment to the process. It's about the person you're becoming while staying while trying to stay committed to the process. So the win here is actually, and the story you're telling yourself actually becomes, I have a lot of fortitude. I have a lot of discipline. I have a lot of grit. I'm the type of person that will work through this to the end. I am dot, dot, dot. Now, the one caveat we have to do place on this, the big asterisk is, there has to be an appropriate place to know when to pivot. Mm. If you are just so bullheaded, you see things through to the death, that is not the right, opportunity for this whatsoever. Yeah. If you are so dedicated to your mission that you actually can't see the other opportunities that is an opportunity for you to pivot, you end up with like a lot of these Fortune 500 companies that were part of the Dow Industrial Average in the 80s that don't even exist anymore.
0: Yeah. Do you have you found in your own life that it's hard to differentiate or distinguish between when you're being stubborn and when you're being persistent? <laughs> Cuz I find that I I sometimes have to ask myself like, okay, which of these am I actually being in this case? And do you have any sense of, um, like when you feel like you're one versus the other?
1: Um, yeah, it's, um, so one of the things I've, I've started to through some self-reflection is become, um, okay with two ends of the same spectrum. Mm. We don't need to live with this binary world. Right. Which is like, I am, I am so steadfast. I am so committed. I am so disciplined. Whereas the other opportunity side of that is like, I am creative. I am nimble. I am quick to decide. I can pivot. I am flexible. Like you can be both things. It's not one or the other. And one's not better than the other. Hmm. Uh, It's very much like, um, I am trying to kick ass with my business and be a kick ass dad. You don't need to be just one or the other. And when you take away the polarity of these extremes and you go, just that um, story we're telling ourselves, that paradigm shift of it's not, I just need to be one, I can be the other. It's kind of like um, working out. Mm -hmm. I work out really, really, really hard. I think it's ridiculous when I hear people say, I have never quit a workout. Like, what are you talking about? You've never quit a workout. So either you've never done a really hard workout that like your body started to break down in, or you're so stubborn that you don't listen to your body when it's breaking (laughs) down and stop. Like I change workouts every single week in the middle of them. (laughs) Like I'm, and I'm, 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 it's not that I'm like aloof. It's not that I don't care. It's not that I'm not disciplined. I am very regimented and very disciplined, and very committed, but I'm also going to listen to my body and be flexible and kind of adapt to the, the stimuluses that are being presented to me in real time. And I think it's just a matter of understanding those aspects. Mm. You don't need to be the most committed person in the world. Cause if you are that you're going to miss some other opportunities. Similar to that is you don't want to be the person that pivots at every turn. Right. You know, my fourteen, you know, my sixteen-year-old son, um, and <laughs> yep. not commit to anything. Yep. You you can be both things.
0: Yeah, um, love that. Second follow up, uh, and then we'll move on. Um, you talked about not, um, or at least. Um, looking really closely at those, those arbitrary targets, those arbitrary, usually numbers, right. Um, and then you talked about kind of instead focusing on both the person you're becoming and the process that you're on. Would you then, would you try, or do you try to replace those kind of arbitrary outside of your control metrics mm-hmm. with some kind of like internal or controllable metrics so that at least, yeah. you know, okay, I am on track and I'm on track to things that I feel like are going to put me on the right, you know, in the right, on the right path.
1: Yeah, it's, it's such a great question, Patrick. Um, so in um for me with my athletes in coaching, I can do that, particularly if they're in 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 front of me, mm-hmm. and we substitute out the score, the result for the process, the commitment for the character, which is how hard are you uh, are you working? Yep. So when I see somebody, I can so I can actually when I'm watching them. That's what matters the most is how hard – how much effort and preparation are you putting towards this? Uh, It's such a great question because I'm trying to do that in the business world, and it's really freaking hard. Mm. It's really hard to create levels of – gauge levels of commitment and effort in the business sense because some people can get a lot of work done in a little amount of time, and other people take a long time to create uh, the same amount of work. So you can't do it by, by hours. so it's an unfair metric so you literally have to go by what you then have to do is you have to kind of like it's hard to go off of the um the character and effort and you have to swing towards the process Mm. and that's where we kind of lay into um a little bit more so that's why people like uh you know great writers and um seth godin and people they're like it's about the it's like write one paragraph, one sentence a day. Mm-hmm. Jerry Seinfeld, write one crappy joke a day. It's like, it's all about the process. Mm-hmm. And in career world, in the business world, to me, that's the one that seems to make the most sense. As opposed to, so it's like Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld's uh, recommendation to new and upcoming comedians is to write one crappy ca- r- crappy joke every single day. Mm-hmm. If you do that long enough, you come up with a, a, a whole repertoire, a whole resume of, of great, um, content. What you don't want to do is focus on the end state, which is like, I'm going to get on the tonight show, which is, I'm going to get, um, 50,000 likes on this video it that I'm going to get, um, nine odd, um, auditions with a network tell it's like, you can't focus on those result type things. You got to focus just on the process, which is completely inside your control. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've got two questions that were close enough to in relations. I'm going to kind of batch them. Um, cool. the first one is, have you ever tried the Wim Hof breathing method? And then the second one is, so what yes. are the, <laughs> and then the second one is okay, what are the easy. benefits of nasal breathing and do you use it with your athletes? Okay. So obviously those aren't the same thing, but they're both, yeah. both close, close enough yeah. that I wanted to batch them.
1: Okay. So, um, Wim Hof breathing is, um, a method of <laughs> breathing. Um, <laughs> popularized by, um, this guy Wim Hof, um, Mm -hmm. who's like in, is incredible, um, freak of freak of humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, so he basically the, the, it's basically to to say what it is and then what, then the why, um, what it is. It's a very, um, deep diaphragmatic breath, very aggressive where you're oxygenating. It's, um, it is I mean I, I mean I'll do it very quickly but <sighs> where you're breathing in through your belly and your diaphragm, through mm-hmm. your lungs, and then up through your head. You're bringing, well, it's happening to me right now. <laughs> Just literally those um, five to 10 breaths, yeah. brings. they oxygenate your body. They bring so much oxygen in. You're getting a little bit of carbon dioxide out and then more oxygen, a little CO2 out and more oxygen in. Through that process of um, supra-oxygenation, you – this is Wim Hof's claim – you can actually gain access to the autonomic nervous system, mm-hmm. which is essentially like the things that we didn't think you control. Your body temperature, your immune system, um, your um, adrenaline, your, lots, of your, um, lots of things that we didn't think that just we thought like happened automatically, your heart rate and other stuff. Um, through that, you gain a lot of power. Um, you mm. can heal yourself. You can regulate your body temperature. Um, so, he's been able to be injected with viruses in laboratories and under medical supervision. And through um, microscopes, they've seen him's um, body go in and attack these viruses. He's been put in ice tanks and he can actually control um, his own body temperature to certain actually even to certain limbs the, the doctors say like, can you heat up your left hand and he brings attention to his left hand and he can so you're like oh my god so cool he's a freak he's a he's a mutant he's not human mm-hmm. um the cool part is um this is very it's a very learnable skill that other people have been able to uh replicate um so i've done it with um i first read about it and tried it on my own with very minimal success um and then I um, did it with a Wim Hof coach. I've done it uh, a handful mm. of times with a Wim Hof coach. Um, and um, it's it's crazy. So much so it's like um, you have these like uh, – it, the, the saying is you get high on your own supply. You actually have these like, you can, some people can have these like little hallucinogenic, um, experiences. Um, I, i certainly had a little bit of like an out of body experience. Um, your, your hands and feet can, um, incredibly, um, they get incredibly tingly and you kind of, um, it's, um, for all of the meditation and um, yoga practicing that I've ever done, it's basically meditation on steroids. Mm. It puts you into the deepest. So the, the another example to this, i um, you definitely butchering the two minutes, but this was okay. two questions in one. Yep. I'm kind of yep. Um, the the coach that I worked with has done things like ten um, day retreats, you know, where you don't talk to anybody. Ten day meditation retreats where there's silence, um and. You know, in his words, in a 10 minutes of Wim Hof breathing, um, you get in a much deeper metabol- uh, meditative state than you do in 10 days mm. of solitude meditation. Mm. It's um, it's pretty incredible. Um, I definitely recommend it uh, for everyone to try it and experience it. Um, I have done it with my athletes. Um, there's cool physical tests you can do that because you're so oxygenated, you can hold your breath for a longer, lot longer. You can actually perform better. It's fleeting though. It's not kind of holding onto it for a long time. It can give you better uh, respiratory um, control. Um, but it's uh, it's definitely a um, worthwhile experience for sure. Here's the, here's the first example. So um, when I first heard about it, I tried it on my own. Mm-hmm. I have asthma, so I can't hold my breath for very long. When I actually went and got tested, um, they're like blowout, there's a computer program where you blow candles on a computer and through a device. It's basically like a, a breathalyzer. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have the lung capacity. This is kind of crazy, but I have the lung capacity of like a 65 year old Mm. as a 40, as a 40 year old. Mm. Um, um, so when I first did Wim Hof, the first thing you kind of do is like hold your breath for as long as you can. So I tried it and I'm in the gym. It's I'm, I'm sitting by myself and I have my watch on and I, um, I take a breath, I, I hold it, I hit the stopwatch and I'm like, okay, close my eyes and I hold my breath for as long as I can. And when it gets really hard, I'm like, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. When it gets excruciating to so the point where like, I feel like my head is gonna um, explode. I'm like, hold on for five to 10 more seconds. Hold on for five to 10 more seconds. You're not gonna pass out. Hold on for five to 10 more seconds. And when I finally can't hold anymore, I click stop. I look down at my watch and it was... it was 17 seconds. (laughs) So I was like, very humbling, very, very humbling. (laughs) So I, um, so I then go through one practice. I do a couple cycles of Wim Hof breathing. You basically do that. (sighs) (sighs) And you do that for about 30 times. Um, Hold your breath for a little bit, do it again. Hold your breath for a little bit. Um, At the end of it, I do it again, and I hold my breath, and I make it um, for 48 seconds. Mm I was like, whoa, that's a big difference. I didn't do it – that was like years and years ago when I first came across Wim Hof. When I started working with this guy, I hadn't done it for years. And at the very first go, I was holding my breath for over two and a half minutes. Mm. So holding your breath for two and a half minutes is no joke. That's like legit. And this is somebody that couldn't hold their breath for 20 seconds. So just kind of like that, like at peace, you find this really at peace feeling. It's so strange, but, um, that's a really long answer. I can't believe I talked that long about (laughs) breathing in a two minute drill. I didn't, Um, I did not
0: anticipate that answer either. I didn't realize you'd been, um, you, you were experimenting with it.
1: Um, And then the next piece – and and by the way, then you do cold plunges. Mm, The idea behind a cold plunge, and it's freezing cold. So water freezes at 32 degrees. We cold plunged in uh, 37 degrees. Mm. Um, It's so – but it's basically like you learn to – when you get in there, you go shock, fight or flight. Your body body starts to jackhammer and you (laughs) – these really shallow breaths. And through this, you just like – you work on the exhale. It's like (sighs) – And you can control mm. this fight or flight mechanism. And mm. the idea is if you can control it in that stressful environment, well, now when your boss says, hey, can you work on Saturday? Yep. You don't freak out. You can kind of control it in other, when a guy flicks you off in traffic, yep. you can then control it. And you take control of your kind of like, um, your, your parasy- The flip between parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, mm-hmm. um, which is rest and digest and fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Um, so next one is have nasal breathing yep. um, and have I done it with my athletes. I've been exposed to it, um, I, but I have not done it to the level I've done Wim Hof, and I have not done it with my athletes. I know Got it's it. big in the space right now, and yeah. um, Laird Hamilton and Brian McKenzie and a lot of these guys are getting yep. really into it. Um, yep. I've, I've done a little bit of research into it, but not enough to kind of talk educatedly about it.
0: Got it. Cool. Um, okay, next one. What's your take on the implementation of high-skilled gymnastics in a group class? CrossFit.com has things like L pull-ups and strict kipping muscle-ups and others. Where does that fall into the group class model focused on GPP?
1: Yeah, um, love that question. Um, I don't think it falls into This is my own opinion, but I don't think it falls into it. Most of our members are not coming to us to look for um, elite levels of fitness. So think competitive CrossFit athlete, um, collegiate level athlete in another sport, um, Olympic level athlete or junior Olympics, or the third wave adaptations that is necessitated in the sport of CrossFit or gymnastics. So to me, those, and by the way, those are not high-level skilled gymnastics in terms Mm -hmm. of gymnastics. They're high-level for CrossFitters. Mm -hmm. Um, Even said that, I think you're much better off. Most members are gonna be coming to you two and a half times a week. Mm -hmm. That's the average. Now, I know that sounds weird. When we track this, I mean, we have very dedicated members. The average, it just, we, we see a lot of our members Four and five and six times a week. So it feels yep. like everyone comes out of yep. the normal person is coming about th- 2.78% t- times yeah. a week. Yep. So if you're going to use up one of those hours based on how to teach somebody a kipping handstand push up, I think you're doing them a disservice. I think you'd be doing a much better job teaching them the proper mechanics of how to pick something off the ground, a.k.a. deadlift, how to get up off the toilet, a.k.a. squat, or how to put something above their head, a.k.a. press, and then working them through something that's going to cause some sort of um, physiological response from a um, strength-slash-cardiovascular um, 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 stimulus, Got it. a.k.a. teach them how to move and have them work out. Yeah. <laughs> Next one.
0: I've heard you guys talk about how Monster and Red Bull are bad. I've noticed a lot of CrossFitters drinking Bang Energy drinks, claiming they're better because of uh, the creatine and aminos. What's your take?
1: Okay, Um, so I do think (laughs) – this is so funny. Okay, Um, I haven't done a Monster or Red Bull or any of those things um, in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Dot, dot, dot. Um, this summer, I probably had uh, seven monsters uh, throughout the summer <laughs> yep. for whatever mm-hmm. weird reason. Um, so, I mean, that's across a couple months. I had seven yep. of those, maybe like once at one every two weeks. And strangely enough, I had one today. So, um, and strangely enough, this is going to sound like I'm an energy drink addict, but really I've had, you know, probably mm-hmm. um, eight of these in the last uh, two and a half, three months, maybe. Yep. Um, um, I had my first Bang this past mm, weekend.
0: That's funny. i not actually um, So what tried Bang me.
1: is, yeah, Bang, it's, it's, a cafe, it's an energy drink. Yep. Um, and it has creatine. It has amino acids in it. So you could say it's better than that. I think the reason it's better though is because to me, it doesn't have quite as many of the, um, we'll call them um, chemical artificial additives yep. that a monster or a um, Red Bull or something like that might have. Um, but I'm not here to promote energy drinks. I think they are bad for you. Um, I feel guilty that I had one today, but it's just so funny that we're talking about this. So I feel like, the universe is conspiring yep. against me. It's, yep. Um, it's like a, you have, um, and uh, um, I think that you're much better off having clean sources of of caffeine, yep. coffee, tea, even like um like a, a scent. The protein company makes a very clean uh, pre workout, or even like a ca- if, caffeine pill because it has mm. nothing else in it. Yep.
0: Got it. Next question. I'm 48 and in decent shape. I love CrossFit, but have just found out that I have a grade four arthritis in one knee, deep squats, lunges, box jumps, and anything that I have to get to 90 degrees causes pain, inflammation, and swelling. I'm curious how older athletes or ones with limiting injuries should approach training so that we get to be quote unquote one of the guys, but not have to sit in a tub of ice
1: every night. Yeah. I love that. So that's, there's somebody that definitely gets the social aspect of what we're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, and it's huge that we cannot discount that. There's a reason that, um, our fitness, um, is done the way it is. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, 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 I love that. Um, meaning it's done in groups. Um, the, you can still do all of the movements you just listed. Um, so my wife, Heather, um, had, um, meniscus issue earlier this and she couldn't go below parallel and she couldn't do all the things that you're just listing. Um, so when we did lunges, she kept that leg, um, above nine degrees. And when it was the trailing leg, she kept it straight. Mm. Now she's lucky enough that she has good flexibility, um, which is what I would encourage you to do is to spend extra time on mobility, extra, um, ankle and hip mobility, adductor so all about the um that kind of hip area it will help usually issues are caused either from upstream or downstream not at the site of the symptoms um now i get it your arthritis is it is there i know you can see it on an x-ray or mri um, but working up and downstream will definitely help it um The thing I would not do is um, try to work through it. Mm. You don't, that's not going to help with this. What you want to do is get it as close to the range of motion as you can, um, but not go through it. And then try to work through it a little bit with, uh, in a controlled environment with a lacrosse ball, with some voodoo floss, with um, a supernova. Check out Kelly Starrett's stuff. It's awesome. And what I would not do is then get an ice tub. You will not heal it getting an ice tub that actually slows down the healing process, which is a whole nother discussion. I think we've talked about that plenty yes, of times. Yes, we have. Yep. yep. Yep.
0: Okay. Should there be any difference in trainings, whether that's uh, in training, whether that's CrossFit or cycling or whatnot, when somebody's in a caloric deficit as opposed to when they're in a, a maintenance or caloric surplus?
1: Yes. So let's uh, let's let's kind of give some context to what that means. Um, a caloric deficit means you're eating less calories than you are expending. Yep. So if you're burning 2,000 calories and you're only taking in 1,200, that's a caloric deficit. Um, that is a surefire way to lose weight.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: you're going to. That's just, it's just uh, thermo. It's just like it's it's the way it works. And the opposite is true if you were trying to gain weight.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, now
1: it's not. It's not totally letter to the law. You could have more calories and um, lose weight depending on the quality of the calories and how you're training. So, but in general, that's what is meant by this question. Um, And the answer is yes, you should be low. You cannot put in the same training volume and intensity um, that you would otherwise in a caloric um, homeostasis or um, surplus. Mm -hmm. So you do need to pay attention to those things. It's the reason why, as our athletes ramp up their volume from being a regular gym-goer to a semi-competitive athlete to a world-class athlete, the volume goes up, so does their caloric needs. It's why Michael Phelps was consuming you know, between six and 10,000 calories a day because mm-hmm. he's spending four to five hours in a pool. It's why Cole Sager has 550 grams of carbohydrates a day, which mm-hmm. is over um, 2,000 calories just of carbs. So you add in the proteins and the fats, and the dude's eating, you know, five six thousand calories. It's like you, as you train at that volume and intensity, you need to fuel the engine. If you don't, you will break down.
0: Got it. What qualities or characteristics makes somebody coachable, and how do you successfully develop coachable athletes?
1: Two things: um, humility and a growth mindset. Mm. So you have to you have to realize that you don't have all the answers. So to be a coachable athlete, and this is by the way, whether it's a coachable athlete or coachable in business, or you have to see feedback as the shortcut to betterment, mm-hmm. not as criticism. Big, big key point there. When you, um, if you, if you see feedback as criticism, you have an ego problem. That's what it is. Your ego is getting in the way. If you see feedback as an opportunity and um, for betterment quote unquote advice, you're set up to go. You are quote unquote coachable. The next one is um, the growth mindset. And that's what sets up. That's kind of like the, the foundation for the humility aspect of this. If you believe that your ability is fixed, which a lot of people do, I'm not good at school. I'm just not coordinated. Um, I'm not good at math. Um, she's an, you know, she's an artist. I'm not just good with I'm not good with music. Um, I'm not a great dancer. If you're saying those things and you think they're fixed when you, when someone gives you coaching, you're going to see it as a knock on you. You're going to set Mm -hmm. yourself up for a pass fail, as opposed to, if you believe I'm not good at math yet, I'm not good at dancing yet. I'm not good at gymnastics yet. I'm not strong enough yet. When you put that word in there it shifts the paradigm around. So I'm not good at this yet, but if you give me some feedback, um, now we can start to, that will help speed up the process.
0: Mm -hmm. Was there a second piece of that question? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, how do you successfully develop coachable athletes? So my my question there is, is, do you do that or do you just simply find those with the humility and the growth mindset and then
1: you coach it? Yeah. You -hmm. you, first is you bring awareness to it. You can actually call it out. Um, you know, it, the first step in most changes is awareness. Um, but then it's also, it also has a lot to do with the way that you talk to people. Um, and we've talked about this on the podcast. It's like the way that I am so aware of this with the way I talk with my kids. Mm. Like it's so at the forefront of my mind every time I um, talk about them. And if I catch myself saying something that's going to um, – that is um, in line with would be instilling a fixed mindset, I correct it. Mm. So it's because it's hard. If yep. you go like, like, um, like my daughter Harley is really strong. Yep. So, like, wow, Harley, you did, wow, you're so strong. Her identity is gonna be t- tied into being strong. Yeah. Wow, Harley, you're really pretty. Like, those are fixed things as opposed to like in saying strong, like, wow, Harley, you worked really hard to move that thing. Wow, you worked, you put a lot of effort into those things, working hard and effort are malleable they're plastic you can change yeah. them and that's a that's a growth mindset um and trying really hard not to reward um results but effort and commitment in the process Got it. so in our, might- in our in our in our in our affiliate we talk about this with our coaches if hmm. somebody does great on a workout don't go whoa dude you are fit yep no 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 whoa dude you crushed that workout you worked your ass off awesome and here's another one. I used it today. Uh, my favorite is we had a, I had an athlete in class today. That was his first time he's ever taken a class. We were on a rower and I was working with on some rowing technique. Um, he changed, I gave him a cue or two and he changed it. And mm. my feedback, what I literally said to him, and I say this all the time early in the learning process, always, always, always. I said it three times in a row to him. I was like, whoa, you are so coachable. Mm. And then at the end, and then again, it was like, um, as I walked away, I was like, Love working with coachable athletes. Mm-hmm. At the end of the class, I was like, dude, it's so cool to be able to work with a coachable athlete like you. Yep. Like, you reinforce it. This is what yeah. we're looking for here. Yeah. Whereas, if, if instead he walked in and he got on the rower, and I was like, whoa, you're um, like, we, we got a lot to work on here. Or, like, whoa, even the other side, you're a great rower. Like, what are you, in, what are you rewarding there?
0: Yep.
1: Like, what you give, what you shine the light on is going to be emulated and what people look for and it's what, what people chase. Mm-hmm. So shine the, shine the spotlight on the coachable aspect and just call it out.
0: Yep. Yeah, I love that. Next question. My, my wife owns a 10-year affiliate and I have a 9 to 5. As a side gig, she created a healthy, all-natural post-workout treat. We recently had a random person comment on the business Instagram with a negative comment about the product. This person has never tried it uh, and is commenting based on uh, the packaging. Do these negative comments need a response? If so, what is the best strategy to address this negativity?
1: Uh, does it need a response? No. Um, um, Is it worth a response? Eh, Maybe. It depends on kind of what you're trying to set up as a business. If you are um, in total transparency and you're all about customer relations and you're all about um, everyone's a satisfied customer, then yes. If you're like, dude, we're we're going to be get. We're going into Walmart next week, and we're going to be mass produce, and we're going to be sell to Procter and Gamble next week, and we we're going to sell the company. Um, probably not. You are. You're probably paying attention to the wrong things. Mm. Um, but here's the kind of the 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 even the the thing I would lean into more is when you start to. I think I learned this. It was either from you, Patrick, or from Ian. Mm. Um, when you start to get, um, bad comments, yep. what that means is you've expanded your platform outside of your immediate friends and family. Yep. And that's a great thing. Yep. That's a great thing. It's actually the number one telltale sign that you are, um, expanding the reaches yep. and, um, the bigger you get, like Amazon has so many people that hate on Amazon. <laughs> so yes. many people, right? That's amazing. But guess yeah. what? You don't hate on your mom who's trying to do this online store yep. because she's your mom. And as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, you're going to get more critics and people from the peanut gallery, people in the stands that are kind of like throwing their their critiques at you. I— um. I believe that there is no substitute for customer feedback. It is Mm -hmm. the most important thing that you can get as a business owner. Having said that, every piece of feedback doesn't necessitate a response. And every bit of feedback um, doesn't necessarily mean it's something that you need to take and mold and put into your product or Mm -hmm. your company. What you want to do is take it internalize it, put it through all the filters of what you're trying to create in your vision and say, does this line up? Will this move me closer to what I'm trying to create or not? So if he has a, if this customer, he or she has a complaint about the packaging, take that in like, okay, without judgment, what could we do to improve our packaging? Mm -hmm. Does this person with, and everything is just dropping something in a suggestion box. Um, From there, you figure it out. Maybe like, no, this is this is this is exactly the packaging the way we want to go, um, and dot dot dot. But you're the director of your business, not your customers. Even though the customer feedback is so important, it's Henry Ford's saying, "If I had listened to my customers, I would have built them a faster horse." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because no one else had the vision of what he was trying to create. Yep. That's why you're running the business and they are not. Yep.
0: Next question. I have recently had a uh, current smokers join my CrossFit gym. I'm psyched to have them. However, I was wondering if you've ever trained clients who have been current smokers as they started CrossFit and what considerations did or would you take into account as compared to other new members?
1: Yeah, um, I have. Um, and I would talk to them about it, but I, I do not come down hard on it. Mm. Um, to me, it's like they're they're doing the right thing right now. They are yeah. taking the first step. Um, you don't want to, as somebody's trying to tiptoe into the pool, you don't want to push them into the deep end, <laughs> yeah, totally. um, and and scare them back away. Yep. Um, so you can create awareness around it. I know that you're, you know, that you're a smoker, and it's something that we're struggling with. And if you ever want any you know, to talk about it or anything like that, here for you. Um, but I wouldn't go uh, knee deep into it. Um, in terms of considerations with the training, it's kind of a little bit similar to training somebody with asthma. You just mm. got to be aware of it, kind of recognize the signs because they can get into coughing fits. Um, they don't have the lung capacity that a normal person would. Um, and you just got to make sure that you're not going to tip them over the edge.
0: Got it. Got it. All right. Last question we have for today. Most affiliates have not been around for 10 plus years, so they've never had to, op- had to operate in a recession. What's your advice for operating in a down economy when people are looking to cut back on quote unquote non-essential spending?
1: Yeah. Um, so the first thing I would do is um, tell yourself a different story. Mm. Um, 51, per- I'm, I'm making this number up, but I, bel- <laughs> I shouldn't say I'm making up. I believe this is the right number. Um, but I definitely could be wrong. I believe it's 51% of the Fortune 500 companies were started in a recession.
0: Mm.
1: So um, Airbnb, Uber, like some big, massive guys, It and if they go like, we're in a recession, we gotta do things differently, look for the horizon. Now I know that there's short-term needs and things that you have to satisfy right now to stay alive. I get that. Um, but you can also shift the paradigm of um, cutting back on non-essentials. I would position myself as an essential business.
0: Yeah.
1: Non-essentials are getting your nails done.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Non-essentials is going skiing on the weekend. Non-essentials is buying a sailboat. People's health, mental health is essential. And now more so than ever, um, I actually believe that we are in a recession proof business.
0: Yeah.
1: I just think that we're we're we are completely recession proof. Now, if you want to talk about things that you could navigate in that, um I certainly would not be completely fiscally irresponsible and just go, <laughs> we're gonna keep spending the same. we're gonna keep everything yeah. payroll the same. We're gonna keep um employment the same. We're gonna keep um, our uh, our operational expenses the same. We're still going to do the massive addition. We're still going to renovate the bathrooms. Like what you look at is just running the business um, with the right, you know, create a, um, you know, a cash flow. Mm-hmm. Really simple cash flow projections with a few different scenarios and play those guys out, and then tweak with some of the, uh, the flexible numbers. Yep, it's Love simple that. as that. Honestly, it's as simple as that. Like shift your mindset. You are essential. Shift your mindset. Recession doesn't mean that it's going to be that bad, but then also embrace the harsh realities of what's around you. Don't put your head in the clouds and go, we're okay. Just keep going. <laughs> you know, We're going to be just yeah. fine. Um, make the hard decisions um, that are needed right now to survive through this thing.
0: Got it. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. That was another two-minute drill. Thank you for sending in your great questions. Please keep them coming, and we will keep answering them until next week.